Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Powder Blue podcast. We are still quarantined, but we are still talking baseball. Frank Close here. I'm joined by Hunter Brody and Jeff Mosher. Gentlemen, how are you doing? It's been a late night for me. I stayed up till 3 a.m. watching some KBO. I had a late night coffee, so I'm a little tired right now, but it was totally worth it. We will get to that. Yeah, you sound really tired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's always... Never mind. I was going to say he's always kind of sleepy, but uh, so how about you, Jeff? How are you doing today? I'm okay. Uh, I have not yet watched a Korean baseball league game, but I've decided I'm going to take the plunge and do it. <laughs> we I just will... have to figure out what team I'm rooting for. We will get to that and all of the all of the KBO action that features five former Phillies players, right? So somebody to root for. So uh, so we will get to that. We will talk about former Phillies infielder. Trevor Plouffe. Real quick, though, guys, before we do that, let's get to our guest. We are pleased to be joined by Todd Zalecki of MLB.com. Now, one thing that Phillies fans have to look forward to right now while there's no baseball is the release of Todd's book called Doc, The Life of Roy Halladay, said to be released on May 19th from Triumph Books. And Todd, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So so how are you doing? Now, normally you're on the road all the time, and, and now you get to be home with your children. What's your life like now? Yeah, it's definitely a lot different. I was thinking about this the other day because um, last week was, in my mind, one of the best road trips of the season. It was Chicago, San Francisco, the, the two of my favorite ballparks in all of baseball, two of my favorite cities in all of the, in the entire country. And you know, spending it at home right now and just trying to come up with different different baseball stories to keep people entertained, you know, and just kind of maybe take their minds off, even if it's just for five or ten minutes, just to kind of take their minds off what's what's going on out there in the real world. Yeah, and, and we still have an uncertain future now. Just, just really fast, there's a couple ideas of what might happen when baseball returns. Do you, do you think they'll let you into a quarantine situation to cover the Phillies? You know, it's really hard to say. I guess my my guess is no, just because uh, the more people you bring into a situation, uh, the greater the risk or the greater the percentage, I guess, of maybe somebody passing uh, COVID-19 to a player or to a person on the team. And then, of course, then it spreads like wildfire, uh, you know you see what they're doing at the president's briefing. So like they have reporters there, but spaced out. So I guess in theory that's possible, but uh, my, I guess if I had to bet on it, if our coverage might be limited to maybe like pregame conference calls, postgame conference calls, something like that, where we, you know, we're cover- we're watching the games at home, like the fans, but we have a uh, very limited media access maybe before and after games. Definitely be a different experience. I was almost wondering if they would let the media sort of sit sit in the stands, like you know, one section apiece, <laughs> you know, just to just to space everybody out yeah. accordingly. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, that if they would allow us to do that, that would be great. You know, even if it's just for home games, because uh, you you do miss a lot. You really do miss a lot not being in the clubhouse. You know, not being able just to walk up to a player and ask him a casual question about something, maybe about a play the night before or whatever. I know a lot of fans go, you know, what do you need to be in the clubhouse for? You know, a, a post-game press conference is fine. That's all you need. You really do miss a lot in terms of the coverage, being able to describe a scene in the clubhouse before a game, after a game, after a big win, after a bad loss. 
you know, like I said, just sidling up to a player real quick, going, hey, what did you think of that play? Or, you know, what happened on this play? Those little details, I think, really can enhance the baseball coverage. And that coverage, indeed, you got to be very, very close and ask those types of questions to uh, the subject of your book, Roy Halladay. Now, one thing that was on Phillies fans' calendars for this year was May 29th, which was when the Phillies were set to retire number 34, and it would have been a celebration of Roy Halladay's life. Uh, but we're not going to get that, at least not yet. We're not going to see that just yet. But one thing we do have, which is very nearby in terms of the calendar and around the 10-year anniversary of the Roy Halladay Perfect Game, is the release of your book. So uh, why don't you tell us what led you to write a book on Roy Halladay's life? You know, a couple of things kind of jumped out at me. You know, I, first is the just his baseball story I thought was so remarkable. People kind of know the gist of it. Former first-round draft pick, almost throws a no-hitter in his second big league start. He was one out away from throwing a no-hitter in his second big league start. And then in the 2000 season, he has a 10.64 ERA. To this day, it's the single-season highest ERA in baseball history of any pitcher that's thrown 50 or more innings in a season. And, you know, a lot of people hear that and they go, wow, that's, that's terrible. You know, obviously he had a bad year. But Hall of Fame pitchers never have seasons that bad. They might have a season where they're in the fives earlier in the career or in the fours in terms of ERA, but nobody has a 10 ERA and makes the Hall of Fame. Uh, so Roy Halladay, the next season, he gets set down to eight ball. And people kind of know that story, too. You know, he changes delivery. He... He worked with Harvey Dorfman, the sports psychologist, but just kind of the mental aspect of Roy Halladay and how hard that change was for him and how many kind of demons he battled in his career, uh, confidence issues, anxiety issues, the, the need he felt to please people, um, and kind of that daily grind that he felt that he had to go, that he went through uh, to kind of become a Hall of Fame pitcher. And, and I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit get into a little bit more of what kind of made Roy Halladay tick. And and the second part of this, the reason why I wanted to write this book is I, I always thought it was really remarkable that after he retired, after the 2013 season, how he said that he wanted to go back to school and become a sports psychologist and kind of carry on the work of Harvey Dorfman. And, you know, Hall of Famers, again, guys that make $150 million in a career usually don't do stuff like that. They play a lot of golf, they fish, uh, they get in uniform again, it's to be a spring training guest instructor, show up for a week, get your meal money, and, and get out of town. But he actually worked in the minor league side for the Phillies as a mental skills coach because he knew that he was he struggled a lot mentally throughout his life, and I think he knew that there were other people out there like him, and I think he knew that um, if he could help those pitchers in some way, or players, not just pitchers, but players, in some way he wanted to do that. So I wanted to kind of explore that as well. In that regard, Todd, how much would you say Doc, the life of Roy Halladay, is about Roy Halladay the person compared to how much is about Roy Halladay the baseball player? You know, I, I, I think there's a really good mix there. Um, I get into his childhood and, and how hard he was pushed as a kid. You know, kind of one of the legendary stories is his Roy's dad built him a pitching mound in, in his basement, and he, he threw bullpen sessions in his basement. And it sounds kind of cool, like a little, you know, um, you know, uh, Paul Bunyan-ish, you know, type of story. But uh, there was a lot of pressure there uh, that he started to feel as a kid and through high school and, 
and he carried a lot of those things throughout his entire life. So I kind of try to weave that theme in throughout the entire book. And then of course, after his career ended, um, he battled a lot of issues, a lot of pain issues in his back, a lot of you know, depression and anxiety. And I get into that, you know, the final few years of his life and how he was trying to fight through that. And then in scattered in between all that, of course, is this unbelievable baseball story and, and how he kind of, uh, resurrected his career, the impact he had on players, you know, um, the impact he had on teams and, and just the, just the, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of fun baseball stories in here as well. So there's obviously some very serious parts, some very tragic parts, some deep digging into, you know, Roy Halliday's personality and psyche and kind of what made him tick. But then there's also like, just fun baseball stories, you know? So there, I think there's a little bit of everything for people. I imagine you spoke uh, Todd, to a lot of different people to put this book and maybe some people who aren't maybe household names in baseball. Is there anyone that, that jumps out that was uh, a real enlightening interview that made for, for great uh, copy in the book or made for a great story? Yeah. You know, I, I think that you're right. Like I, yeah, I talked to Chase Utley. I talked with Chris Carpenter. I talked with, you know, Jimmy Rollins and Cole Hamels and a lot of big names. Uh, but I also talked to Dong Lean, Donovan Santos, and you're probably going, who are those people? Well, they were the Phillies' strength and conditioning coaches and the Blue Jays' strength and conditioning coach um, while when Roy was at his peak. And they could basically give they – were, they were working out with him every day and a part of his workouts every day. Same thing with Scott Sheridan, the former Phillies' athletic trainer, and George Pullis, the former Blue Jays' athletic trainer, those four guys saw Roy Halladay every day. They dealt with his workouts. They dealt with his rehab. They dealt with keeping him in top physical condition. And they really got to see him work closely on a daily basis. So they were able to give insight that, um, you know, Chase Ali wasn't able, able to provide or Jason Wirth or Pat Hankin or Chris Carpenter or, you know, some of his catchers with, you know, with the Blue Jays and Phillies. And so those guys I thought were just really instrumental in kind of telling Roy's story and kind of really laying it out on, on what made him such a great pitcher. Now, one thing I thought about Roy Halladay, and I frequently said this, is, you know, when he was on the mound pitching, you know, he was the grizzly bear and he was super scary. And I remember just sitting behind home plate the one day and just looking at the fear that his his eyes could just give to the batter. And then when he retired, he he was like a big teddy bear. You know, he went from grizzly bear to teddy bear, became right. a super lovable guy and, and and fun and playful. Now, in all your time covering the Phillies, which team were you see grizzly bear or did you see the teddy bear? Uh, I saw the the grizzly bear version uh probably 95% of the time covering Roy Halladay. And I think a lot of teammates would say the same thing, but that's what kind of made him so great. You know, what made him, what made him great was that he never stopped preparing. And I go, I have a really kind of, what I think is a really fun chapter in the book about the days between uh, the days leading up to his perfect game in Miami, uh, 10 years ago on May 29th and everything that goes into it. And, from running to weightlifting to bullpen sessions to rehab work to arm strengthening and conditioning, these are things that he had to do every day. So when he stepped in the mound, he felt prepared. In other words, if he didn't run on a day, he's like, you know what? I just don't feel like running today. I don't feel like doing my cardio. 
he would not feel good about himself when he stepped on the mound, even if it was the worst team in baseball. And so he would, he had this compulsion to never stop working. And as a result, me personally, I only got to see that Roy Halladay. You never saw him at his locker unless he was grabbing something on very quickly and on the go. Um, you know, for, you know, for for people that get to go into the uh, a baseball clubhouse, you see a lot of guys on their phones, sitting at their lockers. You see a lot of guys kind of hanging out um, with a plate of food or playing cards or whatever. You never saw Roy Halladay in the clubhouse. Again, unless he was going from point A to point B, he was never at his locker. So that seriousness, that determination, that grizzly bear kind of mentality was was basically all I got to see when I when I covered him for those four seasons. Todd, you mentioned what led you to want to write the book. I'm curious, as you gathered all your information and you're ready to sit down and now organize the book and then write it, um, what your objective became in telling Roy Halladay's story? How did you process it all and say, what is it that I want to most tell about what I've learned about Roy Halladay? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the thing I, when I started talking to a lot of people, especially family and and people that he came up with in the Blue Jays organization, you really understood that he had a lot of self-doubt. He had had a lot of anxiety. You know, he, he had this urge to kind of please people and make people happy. And, you know, he wasn't this confident guy, you know, he, he was, you know, and Chris Carpenter, I thought, put it really well in this book. I got to talk to him, and he said, you know, because they both came up together in the Blue Jays organization, and they both really struggled early on. He said, you know, the tough part for us was we were both 6'5", we're both like 230 pounds, we're both former first-round draft picks. Everybody thought we were going to be Roger Clemens and Pat Hankin, uh, you know, two Cy Young Award, future Cy Young Award winners, but at the time we were getting knocked around and, and we felt a lot of pressure and we didn't know if we were going to make it. And we were just trying not to get our brains beat in. And, um, you know, Roy kind of battled that throughout his life. And, you know, I wanted to kind of get into that a little bit. And, and then when I talked with Brandy, Brandy Halliday, Roy's wife, she also, I thought, put it really eloquently in the book that everybody has struggles and, um, so something that might be really easy for me to deal with might be super hard for you to deal with. Something that's super difficult for you to deal with might be really easy for me to deal with. And everybody has issues. Everybody has struggles. And Roy Halliday was no different, you know. So um, his his desire to be great and to live up to expectations kind of continued to push him. Uh, late in his career to pitch through this ridiculous back pain, this debilitating back pain, which got him addicted to painkillers. His career ended. He wasn't happy with how his career ended. He battled depression. You know, he ended up going in rehab a couple times to, to, uh, to try to beat that. And, you know, tragically, you know, uh, he, he died in that plane crash. Um, but then talking to, talking to people, uh, you know, they thought he was slowly starting to turn the corner and get better. But, but just the idea that this, this mountain of a man, grizzly bear, uh, you know, dealt with the same mental stuff that I go through. Maybe not the same stuff, but you know what I mean? Like everybody has their issues and the same stuff that you guys might go through that nobody knows about. Um, you know, that, and I just, so I just tried to humanize him a little bit in, in that sense throughout the book. 
Now you mentioned Brandy. Now his legacy, uh, Braden and Ryan. Now Braden was supposed to pitch for Penn State this year. Uh, obviously, that season did not did not happen. But uh, can you talk a little bit about his sons? Did you talk about his sons at all, and and maybe their involvement in the game that their father played? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, Braden Braden's a pitcher at Penn State, and Ryan's still in high school, and, and he's a pitcher as well, and and uh, you know. Roy, Roy, when he was still here, he wanted to make it a point for them to really enjoy the game. And I mentioned earlier how Roy was, you know, he, he, he really, uh, he, he was not, not pressed into baseball, but he was, um, you know, he was kind of built to be a baseball player, I guess, or raised to be a baseball player. And he felt a lot of pressure growing up as a kid. You know, sometimes he wanted to play with GI Joes and, you know, he wasn't allowed to do that because he had baseball to play. And, uh, you know, Roy started coaching his sons and he would have parents come up to him all the time and go, how do I get my son a D one scholarship? How do I get my son drafted? And it kind of turned Roy off because he remembered how, what it was like for him. And so the advice he always gave him is teach your sons, teach your sons or daughters to enjoy the game first. That's the most important thing. Um, Roy would, uh, on one of the traveling elite squads that he, that he coached, he made players sign a contract. He also made parents sign a contract. He made parents sign a contract basically saying, if you yell at your kid on the field, uh, if you berate them, embarrass them, if you yell at me, try to embarrass me, you're not allowed to come to the games anymore. Um, <laughs> so that so that childhood, you know, that, that, that pressure that he faced as a child, he wanted to make sure that no kid had to deal with that. And so that's kind of his, his legacy in a sense with his sons and with other kids that he got to coaches. Um, he wanted to not have them have those feelings that sometimes he felt when he was a kid. You mentioned about talking about the whole family. Were they um, supportive of, of you writing this book? I mean, obviously, it sounds like you were able to uh, interview them, but ha- did you? how did you approach that? Because I know there were sensitivities involved there. Yeah, you know, I, I just – so I, I talked with Brandy extensively several times. Unfortunately, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to uh, to Braden. Um, you know, Ryan is – Ryan's uh, – uh, didn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't really interested in talking, um, which is totally mm-hmm. fine. You know, they're, they're young kids. And, uh, but I did talk with Brandy several times. I talked with Roy's dad and one of Roy's sisters and, and, um, people close to him. And I, I just, you know, Brandy didn't know me. Uh, she mm-hmm. didn't, you know, her family didn't know me. And I just kind of described how I saw this book, um, what I thought his story was. And, and, you know, she ultimately had to figure out if it's like, you know, do I trust him or do I not trust him to, to, to tell a, an, an honest story? And, and that's kind of how I, I approached it, you know, and mm-hmm. um, because I do genuinely believe that, you know, just because somebody gets addicted to something doesn't mean they're a terrible person all of a sudden. It doesn't erase everything good that they did in, in their life. You know, there's, it's not just so black and white like that. There's a lot of gray area involved. And um, I wanted to kind of lay that out because there are a lot of questions uh, about Roy and, and whatnot um, after his playing career. But, you know, I'll tell you what I talked to over a hundred people for this book and everybody that I talked to about him was really eager to talk about him. Loved really. You could still, I, I had, you know, grown men kind of break down and well up talking about him and he impacted people in a lot of ways and, and kind of the way his life ended uh, has not changed their feelings about him. 
One more question about the book. I noticed you have two separate covers. Uh, one is a, a Roy Halliday as a Philly, one is a Blue Jay. Are you distributing these regionally, or will that cover be on each side? No, they, they, that's a regional cover. That's uh, So north of the border, uh, you'll get the Blue Jays cover. Anything in the U.S., you'll get the Phillies cover. I've had a couple people say, I want the Blue Jays cover because uh, he spent most of his career there. And, um, and, I, and I totally get it. But I also think it's really cool that the publisher Triumph Books saw that as an opportunity to kind of appeal to two audiences, um, the Philly audience with the Phillies uniform and then the, uh, the, basically the entire Toronto Canadian audience with the Blue Jays with the Blue Jays uniform on the cover. I, they, you know, you don't see books doing that too often. I thought that was a really cool kind of like sign of support or belief in the belief in what I was doing in terms of, uh, Hey, we think this is a great story and, you know, we're going to kind of do something that we normally don't do to, to maybe help sell the book. Now I'm looking on Amazon. It is rated currently number one bestseller in Ontario travel guides. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, it's been, it it has been number one in Ontario travel. I asked uh, somebody at the publisher yesterday, I said, what is with this ranking? And if, I think also if you go in there, it'll say like number one mid Atlantic travel guide. But uh, the other night um, it was number 12 among bestselling baseball books. So, I said, what's with the travel guides? And they like, we don't know why they, they do that, but for whatever reason, they do do that. Um, but the fact that it was the other day, it was top 12 uh, baseball books is good, especially considering today's May 5th, and, and really the book doesn't even come out for another two weeks. So in closing- Although it does come out, it does come out today, uh, May 5th, uh, if, you're, if you're a tablet person. Kindle, iPad, you know, whatever, um, you know, it's available beginning of the day, which is kind of cool, too. Oh, that's, that's great news. So uh, tell us then, Todd, please, in closing, where can we find your book? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can get it off of iTunes uh, for your iPad. Uh, Triumph Books is the publisher. Of course, they sell books. They sell the books on their own website. Basically, any anywhere that you can buy a book, online <laughs> you can buy the book right now hopefully at some point uh, this year they'll start reopening bookstores and whatnot and and maybe you know people can actually go into the old school bookstore and, and pick up the copy but right now it's it's mostly an online endeavor well i'm going to grab my kindle version today which i did not realize it was out today so uh but todd zalecki of mlb.com thank you so much for for joining us and thank you for for giving us this uh, by the way, I will say I was excited to read this before you came on, and now that you're on, I, I definitely want to read it even more, and I'm sure that the listeners will will think the same. Awesome. Thanks, well, I appreciate the time, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Todd. And coming up, we'll talk about Trevor Plouffe, MLB Insider, and the return to baseball with the KBO. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody, we'll be back. And welcome back to the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. Now, a former Phillies player, you might remember him very well from his one walk-off home run. I think it was against an outfielder or middle middle infielder pitching, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember, but Trevor Plouffe, you know, a household name in Phillies history with the 2018 Phils, had a cup of coffee. But Trevor Plouffe has become a podcaster, and, and maybe you're familiar with John Boy Media, uh, you might remember that John Boy is the media outlet recently created. They were the ones that had all the really good dub overs of, of managers arguing with umpires. And then he put together the wonderful video 
that showed the trash can banging in Houston that widely circulated. And perhaps John Boy was most responsible for the Houston Astros getting in trouble in the very end. So so uh, Trevor Plouffe, former Philly, joins John Boy Media. This is his first take in the media. And he has a scoop. Well, before we get to the scoop, what what's... What standing does Trevor Plouffe have in this world, Hunter Brody? Well, I mean, he's connected with baseball people, right? So, I mean, he definitely has conversations with people in the baseball world. So, I do understand that there's something there. With that being said, with this nugget he's throwing out there, if it's as serious as he's saying it is, don't you think Ken Rosenthal or Jeff Passan would be the first to break it over a player? And not even a Bryce Harper or Mike Trout. It's Trevor Plouffe. Well, let's read this tweet. So before we go any further, so Trevor Plouffe tweeted at 5.30 p.m. on Monday, want some good baseball news? I just heard from multiple sources that on June 10th, spring training two will start. July 1st will be opening day and all teams will be playing at their home ballparks. And he plugs his podcast talking baseball jeff what's your first reaction to hearing trevor plouffe tweet such a thing my first reaction was that the this is probably the rough outline of a plan that major league baseball has developed over the last few weeks um and that trevor plouffe just happens to know trevor plouffe yeah uh the the correct people caught wind of it uh, the reason why the Passons and the Rosenthal's don't have it yet is maybe because they weren't officially ready to release it. But uh, I suspect that there's, you know, they say where there's smoke, there's fire, that there's something going on that is very close to what he's report or what he's saying. Yeah, and speaking of, of Jeff Passon, I do believe he did come out to respond to that tweet and uh, basically said, well, nothing's been decided yet. That was the, the basic gist of of. His response, and uh, here, here's here's his exact words. He says, contrary to reports, Major League Baseball has not canceled. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong tweet. See, they're all running together at this point. <laughs> um, but I believe it was him. So actually, actually, Hunter, you caught him actually speaking on the topic, right? Yes, during the KBO game at 3 o'clock in the morning while he's rocking a shoot, which is ridiculous in my opinion. Just put on a nice hoodie or something, you know? I know for a fact he had on pajama pants. There's no way he had on the shoes and everything. But he was talking about how, you know, there there was a general idea with baseball to go with that direction. But he also brought up there's so many options on the table. This was an idea and concept that they were somewhat talking about along with many others. Now, originally when I heard him say that, was he saving he wanted to be the first to report it. So I wonder if he was trying to downplay it so he could save it for him to be the one with the breaking news. Jeff, what are your thoughts on that? You're saying Plouffe was the one? or Pla- Huh. No, I don't really think Pass- about it that way. He, he's worried up- that Passon stole, uh, I mean, that Plouffe uh, stole Passon's thunder, so to speak. And and so if you downplay it now, then when you have an official word, he can break the official word later. That's a pretty good conspiracy theory. Thank you, Hunter. <laughs> Thank you. From, now that I'm getting someone... into this media business, I'm starting to see how this all works. You know, Carson Wentz yes. speaking to the media. Oh, this guy, I can't wait to play with him. Stop it. I'm not believing anything that media <laughs> says anymore. I was going to say it's a good conspiracy theory from a good conspiracy theorist. So good job. Thank you. Thank you. 
and, and we'll get we'll we'll get to those coronavirus conspiracy theories you have on another uh, <laughs> podcast. But uh, but let's let's kind of break down what he's talking about here. So let, let's 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 pretend for a minute that that this is the plan. All right. So according to the plan, opening day is July 1st with the spring training June 10th. Well, let me just ask you this, Jeff, based on what we're seeing, are we actually in a position to have a spring training starting June 10th? This is like the circular conversation we've been having. And I keep going back to, I don't know, there's not enough data. I don't even under, is this what we're, if, if what we're, what we're talking about now, is this part of that plan to have regional hubs or is this everybody playing in their own ballpark? I, I just, there's too many blanks left to be filled in for me to really have a that's, good opinion of this. That's a great question. It seems to me that this sort of gels with the idea that there are three regions three leagues, whatever you want to call them, and and people are playing in their home ballpark. So I think the idea behind the home ballpark model was travel would be somewhat limited and would decrease the risk of exposure. I think that was the idea behind it. So it seems to me that this this sort of resonates with that plan so that, yeah, maybe they get their spring training in, uh, nobody's allowed in. Uh, but then July 1st, they they go back to their home, right. home respective things. But, you know, it sounds to me like that with, with people opening up early, perhaps. In fact, I can tell you the beaches on Pinellas County were open. Pinellas County, Florida is where the Phillies train and have their spring training. People are out and about already. Now, they don't have the bars open yet or, or, or uh, the typical Clearwater hot spots, but yeah, but talk to me in a week. They opened up the California beaches, it became madness, and then they closed them what a couple days or a week later. So, I don't know what's going to happen here in Pinellas County or any other county with things that are opening. They could be closed again in a week from from from, from reopening. So, uh, my stance is the same of where it's been. I'm if baseball is ready to return, if they have a plan that they feel is safe and will work to bring baseball back. I'm all for it. I'll watch. I just think as a viewer and a fan, I have to be prepared for the fact that it's going to be a totally different experience than it was before. And I might not enjoy that experience. It may be so different. It may feel like such an exhibition type of season that it just doesn't do it for me the way it would normally do it. Not to shift gears too much, but one of the things that Jeff Patton was talking about too was about the money part of this. And if if the owners want to ask the players to take less money, which I know we discussed before, but, but the money part of this is still a huge issue. It's not just, okay, well, we have these places available. Let's quarantine them in three sections around the United States, and then we're ready to play baseball. I feel like the financial part might be even higher on the list than where do we play? Because I think the where do we play question is somewhat getting figured out. Now it's about the real conversation, which is a huge part of this. So then let's, 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 Take for granted that that's worked out. Let's take for granted that uh, you know every all the testing is available and it's safe. If if this ploof plan, for lack of better words, works, if we let's say we merge this with the three regions, because that's again in my head that's where it seems like Trevor Ploof is sort of uh, going with this. But if you have that, is is that okay? Yes, yes, I, I think it's okay. Jeff, what do you think? Three regions, quarantines uh, in their own hotels. I listen, guess I got they, nothing to. If they, I play, got nothing though, to compare it to. No, right. Uh-huh. But if they play in July, if you, if I told you right now, Mosh, we're getting baseball back in July, and it's going to be no fans, 
We don't know the stadium situation, but no fans, baseball back in July. Isn't that a significant amount of the season left to make it still seem like baseball? It's not 20 games. It's not 30 games. You get the all-star break and, and the rest of the way. So right. you get baseball no, back I, in July. All right. Again, I can't, I, can't, I can't judge in a vacuum, nor can I judge uh, whatever the opposite would be, like the future. I, I think it makes sense and it sounds good and it feels good to say baseball will be back. And even July, you get more of a season than maybe you would have thought of beforehand. But I can't tell you now how easy it will be as much as I love baseball. I love baseball as much as anybody to be emotionally invested in watching the Phillies play other teams in a different state with no crowd where, I mean, are you going to get that same feeling when there's a nice rally with two outs in the seventh inning on a day-to-day basis? I don't know. I I hope so. I know I have to be prepared for it. And I don't mean to sound like a complainer. I'm just trying to objectively analyze how I think I will feel about this. So yes, Hunter, you're right. It's better than nothing. Um, I just hope that it's as, I hope it's enticing enough for me just to want to be able to watch every day like I normally do. I imagine it will be for the start. I just we'll have to see. I, I, I don't watch spring training baseball religiously. But is this uh, spring training? I think this is a step up. I didn't think I'd be interested in the KBO. And last night, I was super intrigued. Now, maybe that's because I haven't seen a live sporting event in forever. Will I feel right. the same way about it in a week? I don't know. But the no fans part of it. It, it wasn't that much of an impact as I thought it would. But once again, maybe I was just so stunned and shocked that this is actually going on and it's baseball that I don't know the outcome. Right. It's the novelty factor. You'd have to see how you felt about it five, six, seven days later. And we'll break that down in our next segment. But let me ask you this. Something interesting I heard that just sort of came up in conversation this past week. If you have three leagues, if you are quarantining like you are, if you're starting around what normally would have been approaching the all-star break. Do you have all-stars? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Okay. So you just skip the all-stars. All right. Well, what so are they then, play? I mean, there's, there's, would they play an yeah, all-star, all-star game <laughs> like two weeks all-star. into the season? We get a break. Oh, you do it at the end. Maybe it's like pro bowl, you know, you just, yeah, just but burn a week a and fan friendly event. Right. I mean, that's supposed <laughs> to be about not just the players, but about the fans and getting to, you know, there's, there can't be a fan interaction here. You know, na- name an all pro team or something like have the writers just name the all the, the postseason all star team or whatever. I don't think we need to have festivities. Yeah, you know, baseball writers, if you end up putting them all have like the ballots and whatever, and then they start fighting over how can you put this guy in and leave this guy out like the Hall of Fame type of thing. <laughs> They'll love it. That's a baseball writer dream. So what would you do then the playoff time? Like what? Like they didn't really get into this, but the other thing I was thinking about is if you got these three leagues, how, how do you come up with a playoff system? Well, I would think that it's with with the Arizona and the three different places. Was it Texas, Arizona, and Florida? Well, this would be this would be like Central, East, West. I still think to however you break it up. Well, I, I never thought of it as three different leagues. I still thought of it as the leagues that they're in. I, I don't know. It's, I, I would have to see the structure of how the regular season was broken down by how many times you're playing specific teams. And I have to see it on paper. Right now, I'm a little confused by how it would all even be displayed in, in that. Yeah, I, it, so, I, it sounds like you would just be playing your Eastern components. If you're, so if you're the Phillies, you would be just be going up and down the, the East Coast. So you'd play both Florida teams. You would not play the Braves because they're further west than Pittsburgh, but you would play uh, Pittsburgh. You'd play Baltimore. You'd play both New York teams. You'd play Boston. 
that you play um, uh, DC, like that would be like the division, all those teams down the East Coast, and you would only be playing them. So if, if you've got three leagues, then how do you come up with some sort of playoff system? I'm sure if you write it down on paper, you can strategically do a tournament. Right on top of my head right now with this caffeine rush going, I can't comprehend all that information. But if you wrote it down, I'm sure you can strategically see how these teams would play each other, you know? So you get like the top two teams in three divisions and then wild, two wild cards and then you have eight teams. and then But then who's on what side? Because then, then you got to divide like the third one into the middle. Well, definitely a bunch of questions remain, but... Uh, final words. Does, can 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 I believe Trevor Plouffe at all in these things, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I think he had too many details to just uh, act as if he either made it up or heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend, right? Um, not to get all Ario Speedwagon on you, but um, <laughs> I, you know, like Mike Fires. It's like who is Mike Fires? Well, he was somebody in the know because he was there in the heart of it. It's not like Plouffe has been out of baseball for ten years. I'm sure uh, he maintains really strong connections, and I. You know, I do think that there's something viable. Now, is it exactly letter to the law the way he reported it? Probably not. Um, but I think that there is probably some real strong uh, indications that those deadlines and dates that he mentioned were something that MLB is strongly considering. I mean, we've been reading about that anyway, that before we go to Hunter. I, I, he's really kind of reporting an extension of what had been reported uh, before that, I would say. Right, I agree. Yeah, it's there's clearly something there, and even Jeff Passan agreed with it. That is something that is on the table. It's just interesting to see a player come come out so open about it as if I got this great news, and I think it was the way it was displayed more so than what was actually being said. Well, we'll break down the KBO action when we come back after this. There's baseball. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. Now, we had live baseball last night slash this morning slash, well, it depends when you're, you're listening to us or watching us, but there's live baseball, and it's on ESPN, and it is taking place in South Korea. Now, ESPN actually made a deal with the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, to carry some games, and they actually have games six days a week so let me just sort of run run through the schedule so uh the the opening days was 12 55 a.m eastern time on tuesday night into well monday night into tuesday so Real quick, was there early- was a rain delay it, there was a rain <laughs> delay to start off this of opening day was. i've well- been waiting for this for months and i'm getting hit with tarp I'm just running through the schedule so that was opening day on espn at, at 12 55 a.m Early, early, early Tuesday set to set to re-air uh, once and on Tuesday, and then once again at two thirty a.m. Wednesday. Uh, that was the NC Dinos versus the Samsung Lions, and then on ESPN two, you can watch live on Wednesday at five twenty-five a.m. Uh, the Doosan Bears versus the LG Twins. Thursday, five twenty-five a.m. You can watch live the NC Dinos and Samsung Lions again. Five eight at uh, 5.25 a.m., the Kia Tigers versus the Samsung Lions. And then also on Saturday, you'll see live 3.55 a.m. if you're up, uh, the LG Twins versus the NC Dinos. And, oh, I'm sorry, there is a Sunday game on the schedule, too. That is the LG Twins versus the NC Dinos at 12.55 a.m. So now the good news is they are re-airing some of these things uh, in the afternoon and early morning. So uh, 
Now, Hunter Brody stayed up and watched KBO opening day. Now, my daughter was up all night and having bad allergies, so I did not get to watch this, even though I was up the entire time the game was on. But Hunter watched the game. So tell us about this experience. Now, first off, I just want to (laughs) prove to you and both of you how much more dedicated I am to this podcast, (laughs) you know, because this matters to me. All right. Yeah. I believe kids and call me back. I believe powder (laughs) blue podcast. All right. So I thought it was good in terms of baseball product on the field. I was entertained. I forgot throughout points that there wasn't even fans in the stadium. Now, maybe that's me being numb to the fact that I'm watching sports. The one thing that needs a little work would be probably the broadcast. But here's the thing. You have people doing it in the States in a game that's in Korea. They had technical difficulties. Their screen went black. They couldn't even see the game. So there were some technical difficulties involved. But, you know, you can take what you can get. In terms of baseball, though, I thought the product was good. I thought the game was solid. And and like I said, it wasn't even a factor to me that there were no fans. I don't think the fans is going to be as much of an issue. Maybe it's because of the nature of the sport with baseball, because normally it's quiet. I mean, you hear people chirping and talking, but it's not banging on the glass hockey or football. So I didn't think the no fans was such a bad part of it. Hmm, That's interesting. I I really do look forward to watching it for that reason, to kind of use that as a litmus test for how I'm going to appreciate and embrace MLB when it returns. I have an ugly American question here about Korean baseball that maybe either you or Frank could uh, educate me on. If, if you live in Korea and you are of Korean descent, uh, do you actually say lions, tigers, dinos? I mean, they have American names, or is that just the way we interpret the team names? I think that's a Frank that question. Sense. Uh, I, I don't really know Korean. I mean, they, they probably use Korean language to describe them, but, the, you know, I mean, that, that's common. So right? we I mean, interpret like, it as the Samsung Lions, but they would say in Korea, the Samsung, however you say however Lions lion in is in Korean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, I mean, how many teams are named the Wildcats in America, right? So, I mean, it's not uncommon that you name them after after animals, right? So, uh, right. but yeah, so, but, but I think we recognize LG and Samsung, right? You know, so, uh I, yes, actually, I this is how I I'm deciding what team I'm going to root for, which TV I like better. Yeah, so exactly. right now I'm Team Samsung. <laughs> I actually like both their TVs very well, the LG and the Samsung. Personally, they're good. But, I do uh, agree. But uh, so yeah, this but is I, like what we make fun of women for. I, I rooted for a team because they wear a certain color. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> this, is like, yeah. this is the guy version. <laughs> Who makes the better electronics? Well, I don't know. I don't know what electronics are made by NC, but the NC Dinos. All right, they were one of the teams in the opening uh, uh, game that was shown on ESPN, and familiar face in the lineup, batting second, playing center field, wearing number twenty-three, the one, the only Aaron Altair. Boo! Yes, that oh, helped me boo, scratch Aaron. off. I, I'm gonna boo because all I heard about was his great exit velocity from uh, Gabe Kapler. Oh, that's great. The one <laughs> thing though, I forgot though about the KBO. There's more personality involved with the bat flips and you can get away with a lot more in that league than you can in the MLB so from that standpoint if you're interested in the kids having fun as they say right you get we're the only country we are the only when you watch the world baseball classic right you realize that we are the only country that has these sensitivities to how the game is played and respected and that we and this is a real ugly American not on me but how I feel a lot of Americans perceive uh, baseball players in different uh, countries, right? You know, 
stereotypes because of how we perceive baseball is supposed to be played. We come up with stereotypes as a society, like Dominican players or Latin players are hotheads. They're all celebratory. They do that. No, it's in fact, it's us. It's Americans that hold something like an athletic skill set to be so sanctimonious, right? That we have to judge our actions on hitting a home run or getting a strikeout. Everybody else seems perfectly fine with celebrating good feats in baseball. And uh, let's be honest, if there's no fans in the stands, we might need to rely on that, right? For some of the emotion, <laughs> right? That'll that'll yes. make up for it. So Absolutely. when MLB comes back, they better get the bat flips together, right? So we need some old Jose Bautista style, right? You know, that uh, uh, like in the playoffs against the Rangers, right? I, the, I remember sure. that bat flip more than any other bat flip. But um, but yeah, so Aaron Altair is on the team. Now, listen, a guy like Aaron Altair can go to the KBO and really clean up. You know, somebody like that. Uh, we saw it with Darren Ruff. We saw it with Tommy Joseph. You head over there, you can be a millionaire, right? You know, someone like that. Now, I, I will say this. The competition at the KBO is often likened to double A. So, um, so a guy like that, he's going to do very, very well over there. So let me run down the ex-Phillies that you can watch in these games in the KBO. So Aaron Altair is on the NC uh, Dinos. Excuse me. Now, the Samsung Lions features two former Phillies starting pitchers in David Buchanan. And Ben Lively, right? So now, now Hunter, you seem you seem to hate everybody in the Kapler era. So I guess that means you're not going to like Lively. But David Buchanan was sort of one of the one of the the carryovers, right, of the uh, um, 2010 Phillies. Uh, that you know he was still around like 2013 ish, right? So so you have him to watch. I don't now, have any relations or emotions with any of these players, to be honest with you. I can't get that, that connection. But I I think the next two are definitely going to get your attention. Uh, Ricardo Pinto is on the SK Wyverns and Philly's the what lo- now? What's that? <laughs> the, the SK what? Wyverns. It's like, a, it's like, now, a what is dragon. a wyvern? Like a dragon, right? Oh, okay. I think. I don't know. You're, I'm the one asking. <laughs> I have, I've never heard of a wyvern. You never heard of a wyvern? <laughs> I've not heard of a wyvern. All right. Now, now, now I got to, now I got to look up a textbook definition. So it's a winged two legged dragon with a barbed tail. Now, I don't know what oh, made I a wyvern. have to root for that team. To me, it's just a dragon. See, so. I always thought it was pronounced wyvern. So maybe that's, is that what it is? I don't even know. Are we even talking about the same thing right now? A wyvern. Yes, it's a wyvern. Oh, okay. okay. Looking, All I'm right, looking I'm at me with the knowledge. <laughs> My English degree got me nowhere. I think you're both crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, a wyvern. Okay, so. I've all right. I don't I don't read that genre of literature, I guess, that that you would actually or, or when I've read the word, I've never actually said it. So th- so this is the first time I've said the word wyvern. But at any rate, you can catch on that team. Uh, Ricardo Pinto. Now. Former Phillies legend, Yun Soo Kim. Remember him coming over from Baltimore, oh, yeah. right? Well, Yunsu Kim. He is with the LG twins. So yeah. you can watch five former Phillies in the KBO, right? That's that's enough to get you to watch, right? I think I'm watching regardless. See, I'm telling you, with the product, you mentioned how it was related to Double A. If you didn't even say that, it didn't even cross my mind. Like, obviously, I know it wasn't Major League Baseball level, but the, the actual level of play was good enough where I didn't think, well, I wonder if this is Double A or not. But if you're watching a Major League Baseball game and someone says, imagine watching a Double A game right now, I would instantly think of a significant difference. You know, it's crazy how... The level was good enough. It really was. And I'll actually, I'll run down this list. There's actually a good number of MLB players that are in the KBO right now. Um, just to run through the whole the whole list, Jose Miguel Fernandez, for, was a, he was a big signing the Dodgers had out of Cuba. Raul Alcantara, who pitched with the Athletics. 
Chris Flexen, who was with the Mets. You might remember him. Uh, Nick Kingham, who was a Pirates prospect. Uh, Jamie Romack, who was a former major leaguer as well. And then not only, only a cup of coffee in the majors. Uh, Byung-Ho Park, he was actually a big deal when the Twins signed him. Uh, he was a star in the KBO, went to the Twins, was okay. And then he ended up going back to the KBO. Taylor Motter, who played for the Rays, Mariners, and Twins, is like a, a Trevor Plouffe kind of role. Uh, Jake Br- Brigham, a uh, former pitcher. He was with the Braves. Eric Jokic, he was with the Cubs. Uh, wait, wait. Did you say his last name was Jokic? Yeah, Jokish. J-O-K-I-S-C-H. No. It sure sounded like Jokic the way That's you said unfortunate it. That's an unfortunate name. <laughs> <laughs> Very knowing, much so. Knowing Frank, it might be pronounced something else. Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> Jokic. Probably like Jokic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not even close. <laughs> You know, it might be. Oh, geez. Now, now I got to look. Now you got me looking no. at phonetic spellings <laughs> of people in the KBO. This is insanity. Look where we are right now. I mean, really? I, well, honestly, I, I don't want to try the, the uh, Korean names. I don't want to do them. Uh, lack of justice. All right. Let me run through this list. Uh, Casey Kelly, former Red Sox. Right. That's a big name, right? He was he was mm-hmm. uh, in some notable trades with the what was it? The Pirates, Tyler Wilson, Ro- Roberto Ramos, uh, Mike Wright, Drew Rusinski. Uh, now here's one, um, Odrissimer Despagne, who was a big deal with the the, the uh, oh yeah, pirate, He's uh, got Padres, that funky excuse delivery. me for, for a while. Um, yeah, El Rojas Jr., William Cuervas, Preston Tucker, a one-time uh, prospect. Actually, I think he was in that trade to the Phillies that got reworked, and then we ended up uh, seeing um, Vince Velasquez coming instead, um, or, or something like that. I think Phillies were supposed to get Tucker. Oh no, they got. Um, um, Anyway, he was in the original Houston trade. They got reworked. Aaron Brooks, Drew uh, Gagnon, uh, Tyler Saladino, Jared Hoying, Warwick Sawpole, Chad Bell, Dan Straley. Or he played with the uh, with the uh, AAA Lehigh Valley last season. Another one, if you follow yeah. him, Adrian Sampson, with the Athletics, and, and Dixon Machado. So, so anyway, there's 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 a whole lot of former major league players that you can watch, but most of all, it's baseball. Any closing words? on KBO before we sign off. I'm watching it. I'm watching Go it. Go Samsung. The 5.30 thing is interesting, though. You wake up at 5.30, you catch the seventh inning when you're getting your kids up. You're right. While I'm still I'm wired from the night, probably maybe even watching the replay of the 1 o'clock game from a different day because that's how dedicated I am. I work myself into the 5 o'clock, not even sleeping while you guys are getting up, working your kids around and whatnot. You can catch you the seventh inning. You just are not from this country. What do you mean? You... you- you clearly don't have kids because if you did, you wouldn't be waking them up on five thirty in the morning when they don't actually have to get on a bus or get to school. I have kids. My kids get up at eight in the morning. His name's Renzo, <laughs> and he licks my face every morning. A dog is a pain in the ass to take care of. Dude, my dog too. You know, it's no joke. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure you were talking about a dog until you said he had a dog. <laughs> Speaking of five thirty a.m., I feel like it's five thirty a.m. Time to sign off. This was the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher. Hunter Brody, we'll catch you next time.